Hi, this is David Sweet, CEO and founder of Focus Core Japan. And if you were like many of the APAC leaders that I speak to, you're struggling in Japan to find the right talent. You get bombarded with irrelevant resumes or a lack of resumes altogether. I would like to invite you to discover the power of Focus Core's retained search. Let Focus Core help you swiftly secure top tier talent in this candidate short market. I'd like to invite you to shoot me an email and explore how we're different. And with a 100% refundable trial, we can revolutionize your hiring process today. Now on to our podcast. Keep running. I hear you're still running. I'm still running. Yeah. 100K a week, I think. Wait, when are you going so to be out running with me? We'll run through the streets of Shinjuku together. Man, I, I haven't left my, my, my days of, of enjoying a single malt, so I'll stay there. Welcome to the Focus Core podcast. Today I'm joined by Regional Finance Director for Hilton Worldwide International, Manesh Ranaga. As you listen, you'll understand why I really like Manesh. He's warm, friendly, open, the personification of great hospitality. Focus Core has often held beautiful networking events at Hilton Properties. So I was excited to sit down with Manesh and chat about his life and career. In this episode, Manesh shares about his life from being from Fiji moving to Australia, Malaysia, Singapore, and now being in Japan. He talks about the hospitality industry then and now, and about finance within hospitality. I hope you enjoy our talk as much as I did. Now I give you Manesh Ranaga. Welcome, Manesh. Uh, could you get us started with a summary of your background that brought you to Japan? Uh, my history starts from Fiji, a uh, small island country. I'm an Indian Fijian, born in Fiji. My grandparents came from India. And uh, I guess I joined the hospitality industry because of Fiji. Uh, hmm. It's a great destination. Uh, it's very it's, uh, people look at Fiji and, you know, I guess it's a paradise uh, within the world environment. And on top of that, did you know we're the largest producers of bottled water in the world now? Fiji water is really popular now. It's one of the I most popular bottled that. water. Yeah? I did not know that. Yeah. It's uh, equal to the French bottled waters that uh, that compete. But yeah, I'm just, a, just a kind of a fact-finding <laughs> thing about Fiji. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know? The largest export in Fiji water. That's, I guess, unusual. No? Yes. Besides uh, tourism. So, uh, outside that, uh, look, I, I grew up in Fiji, loving the place. Uh, I'm educated in Australia, came back to Fiji, uh, and I joined the great, uh, what do you call the ITT Sheraton in those days. It was a big company. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a small guy joining a big company. Wow, it was really amazing. And in those days, uh, for example, you know, those hotels were, were considered quite luxurious because uh -huh. to build something somewhere so isolated by these global investors 
you obviously clearly know that very rich people can come to those places. It takes yeah. a while to get there. And in those days, just remember, if you want to fly from the US to Australia, you had to stop in Fiji to refuel. Okay. So you could not fly directly. So it became a major airspace thing in those days. Pan American yeah. Airlines, you know, those airlines that used yeah. to exist continental, all had to land in Fiji. You know, these are kind of interesting notes. And that's how we became a global center, I guess, in terms of landing rights. Hmm. Um, also, it's a it's a British, uh, British, what's it called? British, uh, part of the British it's a Commonwealth. Commonwealth, Commonwealth right? Yes, yeah. I was going to say empire, but yeah, we <laughs> became independent in 1968. And, uh, and you know what? My dad's met the queen. Uh, we have to oh. meet her. Yeah, she because, you know, if you look at the British movie, you know, this series on Netflix, The Crown, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Fiji when they go and visit Africa and they go to Fiji and Australia. Yeah, yeah. Prince Diana and them. So, yep. yeah. So my dad was a government officer and used to meet these people on arrival at the, at the tarmac of the airport. So that's how my exposure to the global scene came from. Cool. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And uh, Prince Charles uh, was the one who declared Fiji independent from the from the British. Uh, so he had to fly over and do that. So so the, the, this is the kind of the, you know, the environment I lived in. Uh, Outside that, uh, I was a big fan of uh, of just you know uh, living life. Uh, I was a bit lazy, <laughs> you know. I like a, a fan of living life, <laughs> just a bit lazy. <laughs> no, that's me. Uh, and then, uh, but you know, Fiji is it's, it has this innocent way of living, right? That's yeah, point. yeah. And and I think when I went to Australia, I finally had to put my head down and get my bachelor of commerce degree. Yeah, and then come back to Fiji and. I joined an accounting firm called Price Waterhouse. Yeah, but didn't really like doing accounting uh, in the environment of an audit firm. So my dad was freaking out because you know, I was thinking. <laughs> I said, "I'm going to resign. I'm going to leave." And he said, "If you leave Fiji, you'll be like every other Indian that's leaving Fiji, right? The yeah. talent drain." And yeah. my dad was very committed to the country. He said, "Let me see if I can get some advice." And I and I he connected with someone, and that someone connected with the financial controller of Sheraton. And he said, well, I'm looking for an assistant finance person. Yeah. So my dad said, go, go, go and apply. <laughs> <laughs> the reason that I went and applied was I went back to Australia to do my postgraduate in tourism management, okay. which was a very, very new degree or like a very, very new course. Yes. And because I just started it, uh, Sheridan was excited to look at me coming back to Fiji and, and joining them. So I got hired. So when I applied for the job, I thought I was applying for assistant accountant. Uh, what I didn't know was the job interview was for assistant financial controller. <laughs> <laughs> it's different then. Yeah, I got the job. So, nice. and wow, uh, that's the first time I got introduced, introduced to what you call the Sheridan Global Standards, right, of, of running yeah. hotels. So Sheridan uh, is a brand that's everywhere, right? It was in Europe. It's in it was somewhere occasionally in Africa. Yeah. Uh, it's been in the Middle East. So this so to 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 run a hotel with a with a common platform with yeah. multiple countries was just mind blowing for me. I mean, I, I learned a lot, and you know, for me this was an encyclopedia I could memorize. So <laughs> I was enjoying myself, and then the best part about Sheraton was I got to get free breakfast in the morning. I could go to the hotel and have a nice breakfast. 
<laughs> and feel like a tourist. Yeah. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I could go and have a beer if I wanted, at, you know, at the, at the kind of the bar next to the beach. You know? Nice. So I felt this was a good finance job. I couldn't complain. Yeah, that's so that's where my background is. It's a long background story, but it's a good story. And then quickly, uh, I spent nine years there. Uh, you know, we bought the island. Uh, when I say we, our my owning company, the Sheridan, uh, then became Starwood. Then Starwood bought the whole island. So it yeah. was like a Nusa Dua in Indonesia. Yeah. Denarau was the equal of Nusa Dua of Indonesia in Bali, uh, where you have integrated resorts. They have five yeah. integrated resorts uh, with a golf course, marina, and, and you know, this design for that. Mm-hmm. So, so I came from that background. And I, I kind of rose up the ranks quite quickly because when Starwood, which bought over ITT Sheraton hotel segment, uh, we we owned the hotels outright, so that was the catch there. So we became um, before we were a managed hotel by a Japanese company called Long Term Japanese Credit Bank. Yeah, and then we then they went bankrupt or they bubble burst, and then they yep. sold it to uh, sold it to to uh, Starwood Hotels, on which then I became engaged. Thereafter, nine years, I left for Australia, uh, and I bought a pizza shop. A pizza shop. Yeah. That? yeah. So this is funny. Pizza shop and ice cream shop. Uh, two <laughs> things. Um, I kind of tired of hotels. <laughs> yeah, good, yeah, it's, yeah. And it, and it was in Gold Coast. So I, I decided to go and settle in Gold Coast. Opened a pizza shop and an ice cream shop with my brother-in-law at that time. My brother-in-law, he was a Austrian uh, and he was a pastry chef uh, huh. working with me in Hilton. And he married my wife's sister. So we kind of well, like mm-hmm. four of us. So we decided that, hey, there's some money in bread <laughs> and ice cream. <laughs> so we went for it. Nice. But then four months later, I mean, the shop was, the business did, was doing well. And, and yeah. my brother-in-law was running it and we had people running it. But I was working there 24-7. Uh, and it's hard. It was hard. At that time, the business was hard because... You know, when you open something in a new suburb, Australian population doesn't grow fast, right? It's, yeah. it's very spread out. So, you know, the demographics took a while to get in there. So in the meantime, for after four months, I, I guess I started looking for a job and <laughs> the company that I, re, I left rehired me huh. in, as a regional director of finance in Malaysia, based in Malaysia, in charge of Malaysia, Philippines, Vietnam, Bangladesh, India and, and those countries, you know, that yeah, yeah, whole yeah. region there, Brunei, Cambodia. So I, I moved to Malaysia and my wife's Singaporean, I remember that, that at yeah, that yeah. time. Yeah. So so I moved to Malaysia and all the hotels were bankrupt. <laughs> because this is when George Soros did the great currency risk or did a hedge that yeah. basically destroyed Malaysia's currency base. So most of my owners were bank syndicates wow okay so that's an interesting journey i had where i had to restructure the hotel business uh and at the same time we were the first international hotel to open in vietnam and my 30 percent shareholder was a communist party which made me very nervous (laughs) (laughs) you know i could be so it was uh so vietnam opening a hotel uh opening two hotels one in hanoi one in ho chi minh city which is saigon uh, and then at the same time, you know, in charge of a hotel in Philippines, which was owned by one of the wealthiest uh, mall owners. Um, and then Bangladesh, I went to Bangladesh with my boss. Huh. My God, that was that was an experience. Um, the owner was the government of Bangladesh. Yeah. 
Um, so everything was very politically driven. But it was the it was a branded hotel for the first time, uh, Sheraton in Bangladesh. Uh, and 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 in a, what an experience I, I have to say. Uh, they uh, this is a long story, but uh, to cut it short, they 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 took me to the to see how they dye cloth, dyeing cloth, yep. right, the color and all that. Mm-hmm. But they didn't sh- they they didn't see what I saw, which is that the whole river was was black with yep. silt, right? And there were kids swimming in it. <laughs> and I was like, OMG. <laughs> it is what they are, and they're very amazing. They're, they're very smart people uh, on yes. the educated level. They're very smart. I, I don't uh, uh, deny that. Uh, after that, I continued to excel in terms of you know, trying to push myself. And the president of Asia Pacific, a guy called Miguel Ko, said to me, Manesh, uh, do you want to go to Japan? So I said, oh, uh, I thought Japan, you need to speak Japanese. Uh, yeah. the, the, my mindset was, who am I to go to Japan? Right? I can't right. even cross the road without saying hello or something. Right? <laughs> uh, and, and not even read the signs. And for me, it was like a, a country which is overcrowded or the trains are busy. And, and, and I just thought it was, uh, no, unless you can do this. When was this? Uh, when was this? What's, uh, 2000 and Eight. I have okay. to remember the dates. I can't. Uh, yeah. This was okay. This was sixteen years ago. Minus sixteen yeah. years. And he said, "No, no, go. Let's. Why don't you go to Japan? We're acquiring a big asset as a management contract. Have a look. Put a proposal together. So you know, we're we're looking at winning a winning a management agreement. So I went to Japan to then we we'll put a proposal where Starwood would manage a large integrated resort in Miyazaki. Oh wow. Okay. Where we had the world's spot world's largest Guinness Book of Record indoor wave pool called the Ocean Dome, which is, by the way, demolished. Yeah. Uh, we had the, what you call the Ocean 45 Hotel, which is now the Sheraton Ocean, uh, Sheraton Grand Ocean Resort. Yeah. And then we had uh, 99 golf holes, of which one of them is the number two or rated number two or number three best golf course in Japan, the Phoenix Country Club. And then we had the Tom Watson uh, golf course next to it. And condominium, there was a zoo and there was a botanical garden. And this was an asset that Ripplewood, which is a venture company or a private equity company that bought the bank, Shinsei Bank, many years ago. Remember that. And bought Japan Telecom many years ago. Japan Telecom today is SoftBank. So the company that I was working for bought all these assets and they bought this hotel in Miyazaki and they had asked Starwood to manage everything with Troon Golf as our partners. So I went there as, as, a, as a managing director first and then CFO later. Mm. And we had to do a turnaround basically. Yeah. So then, so that was a huge experience. I mean, I, my God. So I, I finally moved there and that's where I met uh, my lovely wife, Makiko who was the only person who could speak English. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I think 005% of the population speaks English. Yeah, Miyazaki's a bit uh, bit extreme in that sense, right? Yeah, a bit extreme. So I went there, and I spent great five years. It was the best five years of my life. Beautiful Uh, town. Oh, but just but not only town, but Kyushu is, you know, Mm. I I experienced Kyushu, Beppu, uh, Kurokawa, uh, I know... uh, the great onsens, yep. the drive-throughs, the Aso Mountain, 
uh, just just amazing stuff there and then fukuoka nagasaki and just, just so much to drive and see yeah and and so humble people and humble people uh had great five years and then moved to fukuoka where gic which is a sovereign fund of of singapore yeah uh, had owns the what do you call the seahawk dome right the seahawk yeah, seahawk yeah and and then the gel seahawk hotel was converting to hilton seahawk hotel and i was part so i joined hilton after that. i left sheraton after many years and because i wanted to stay in japan and sheraton at that time wanted to move me out of japan mm. and i had a young kid and i wanted him to be more japanese first i decided to stay in japan and i joined with hilton nice and i spent three years in fukuoka uh, converting that hotel into a, into a hilton dna hotel which is a very successful property now mm. uh, thereafter i moved to tokyo hilton shinjuku Yep. and that's when the fukushima incident happened and a lot of people were leaving tokyo was pretty empty yep. you know things were pretty negative then uh, i came at that time and uh, obviously was uh, designed to change the business and i was also partially in charge of the of the jkm region uh, at a, at a number 2 level and then 3 years ago i took over jkm totally as the regional director of finance and i've been here since in in the uh, in 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 japan in tokyo wow so it's quite a, an odyssey that you've had from fiji <laughs> to yes. malaysia bangladesh australia miyazaki into tokyo what um right now you know with what you're doing uh what's your biggest challenge that you're facing in your role right now and how you're tackling it i think the biggest challenge is to maximize our cash and we, we, we you know before we used to talk about profit or ebitda anything else mm. ultimately now cash is king mm. we need to preserve cash uh, or maximize the cash right and and and, and or stretch it to a, a level so and i think that's where i'm sitting every day i'm looking at the cash balance uh, we need to borrow money obviously through our current stage because we've had 24 yep. months of this and remember just just to give you an image our hotels in red hilton tokyo for example is 800 25 room hotel right that's a large hotel tokyo bay also is 830 odd rooms and if disney decides to you know lock down its gates entries it affects the whole tokyo bay setup right yeah sure and those things are and we got to manage it and at the same time we you have to understand hilton is a us entity mm. in japan where we're focusing on the way japanese culture and japanese business works you know and you got to have this balance uh, and and therefore laying people off is a big big issue of discussion you know for example yep. uh, and at the same time the japanese government has been really proactive in in supporting the the businesses in japan under the covid environment i got to mm. give them uh, uh, like 100 100% marks they they done an amazing job supporting us uh, us as a, as enterprises and i i would never be i would never floor them they, they've done a great job that's great with uh in in your field of expertise what's a what's a common myth that you find that uh, common myth oh yeah. <laughs> you want me to say this okay let me so common myth when i go overseas and have yeah. a beer at a bar and yeah. and i meet an australian friend of mine and he says well how's it going mate and i go yeah good and we're both having a beer and he says and he said what do you do so i work in japan 
And then first they go, wow, right? First of yeah. all, it's a big wow. Wow, I love Japan. And most Australians love Japan for the way the culture is there, right? The cultural yeah. impact, the, the neon lights, culture, neon lights, and skiing. Skiing, number yeah. one, they love skiing in Australia. And therefore, opinion is technology. So let me go on technology. They, they believe Japan is so advanced at a level that, Manesh, you, you must be really living in the world of technology. Now, here it is. When it comes to the hotel industry, we are not technologically advanced because in the hotel industry, it's about service. Yeah. And we are labor intensive. <laughs> we, we greet people at doors. We greet people at the elevator. We, we bow down 300 times and we need to show that experience and cost of labor here is very high, right? Yeah. And we don't use technology to say, you know, we have earplugs which say, oh, no, uh, we'll, we'll send you the, 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 the dish upstairs. But at the same time, there are some hotels that have automated check-in. So there's two extreme views, right? There's the, the, the traditional Japanese way of service in the Ryokan style, yeah. where there is this people contact that we at hotels want to do. And then there's the advanced where, you know, if you go to a U.S. hotel, the guy, the lady who checks you in will give you your water bottle, right? Here's yeah, sure. your two free waters and you walk with it. <laughs> you would never do that in Japan. No, no. But, but they, they would charge you for it once you get into, yes. the, get into the room. Right? So I, I can see the humbleness of the Japan service standards are so good, yeah. so high that I don't want to take it away. So I think there is this myth that uh, as much as we are technologically advanced, Things like back of house functions, we are very paper oriented, very mm. paper driven, which is what I'm trying to change. I'm trying to change things to paperless uh, uh, technology at the back of house of hotel uh, structure. Oh, and we, how we are use, you doing that? We, we, we're automating things. We're, we're putting things on PDF. Uh, we, we, you know, for, when we employ employees, uh, when, we, when we do, when we hire people, there's a piece of paper. I want to yeah. digitize it. And this is the change we're going through uh, on a back of house function. We you love still, paper in Japan. Oh, and we, you probably still have fax. Yes, yes, oh, yes. So JTB, for example, still sends faxes to us. Yeah. And they will have to sooner or later start to send us what you call emails or digital things. So, so far, when they do send us faxes, it comes into a digital form now, as opposed to, you know, this rolling things. But fax is still common. We still fax our purchase orders. Wow. Yeah, anybody who's not familiar with hospitality in Japan, it's um, when you get to some of these Japanese companies like JTB, yeah. they're, they're quasi-governmental agencies. Yes, yeah. And it's very domestic and still uh, primitive in a lot of ways, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and uh, the question is this. I would maybe re-edit the word primitive by saying that they are focused on the domestic yeah. and large business, and they are all in the same platform. And this platform, why change it if it works? And if you want to change it, there is an intense energy to make sure that every microscopic process is dealt with. Mm. And this can take a long time to do. Yeah. Do you find that the that also segments a lot of the hospitality across Japan so that in some ways we, as a country, we lose some of the opportunity for inbound or even domestic travel because it's so segmented. There's not 
uh, coordination between uh, prefectures, for example, to coordinate the, those travels to create an experience where someone might fly into Japan but might have that whole tour through, take them to Kyoto, to Miyazaki, towards you know, just a different destinations. I think two things are happening. There is an age, the two age categories, as I call it. There is an older segment that obviously still goes to JTB and HIS, for example, and continue to do this, what you call one-stop shop. Mm. And the whole thing revolves around these uh, brochures, you know, the, the summer and winter brochures. And if I was living in Miyazaki, when I, when I was with my wife, my wife took me to JTB to buy a package. And I was like, I've never done this. I normally buy my airline alone. Then I call the hotel directly and make my booking and online. And my wife's like, no, JTB is, is much better. So clearly that in maybe 10 years ago, JTB was a little bit more competitive because they had what you call the purchasing power. Mm. And e-commerce, like online stuff was not so strong in Japan, specifically in Japan. But today that has changed. That has totally flipped around. However. I feel these OTAs need to evolve. And, and mm. I think it's a question of time. There will be a slight delay, but they'll evolve. And, and, and I see JDB moving in the, you know, evolving into an e-commerce giant in the future. But ultimately, we, we have to evolve. It's, everything is online, less mm. at the shops. So a lot of these shops and malls that are in the countryside will continue to succeed because still the culture is in the countryside like Miyazaki, is to go to an Eon mall yep. and make a booking. And there's an excitement in there. I know the journey mm-hmm. to go to the mall, old couples get out of their house, otherwise, you know, and, 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 and it's, it's an event for them. Whereas for us um, younger people in Tokyo or Osaka, I want it on my iPhone. I want booking.com and I want to just make a booking or eq.com, for example. eq.com is mm. phenomenal in the way it's doing business. Its online platform is now so powerful uh, with the younger Japanese uh, in F&B, rooms booking. It, it just, and it's owned by, I believe, SoftBank. I think it's owned by SoftBank. Mm. But it's an amazing platform. That's great. It controls a lot of our, our e-commerce revenues. What, uh, Nesh, what's the most important lesson you've learned over your career? <laughs> oh, my God. I have learned to listen <laughs> and not bark out things in the onset, uh, there's two types of culture, and, and I mean, I, it's my Indian brain, I guess. I, I tend to just speak things out yeah. when I arrive first in Japan, but I have to learn something. I've learned to listen. This is important. I, I tell you this when I meet in, when I sit in meetings, and sometimes you, you, you think that I can add up, I, I can see things, but at certain points, there is, a, there is great worthiness in listening to a Japanese executive explaining to you why he wants to do what. Um, mm. Because from my point of view, sometimes it doesn't make sense. But most times, there is an inner meaning in there that I need to kind of listen to. And it takes a while for me to see that. And therefore, investing the time listening is important. This is something I have had a hard time doing when I first arrived. I was a bit young and maybe brash. But today mm. I'm, I'm much more um, much more calm and patient and, and, and much more uh, observant. That's great. That's insightful. I think when I speak to a lot of um, executives in uh, foreign executives in Japan mm. and, and from my experience in Japan, one of the commonalities that I see is that 
there's a lot of not listening. You have to come into Japan, make sales and, yeah. and follow HQ and just make sales as fast as possible. And there's, there's a little regard to what the, what the lay of the land is and how things are done within not only Japan, but in an organization, yeah, yeah. usually one or two important people who know what's going on in yes. the long term and they're not an expat. And if you, as an expat, don't tap into that yeah. and understand and listen, yes, you lose so much. And oftentimes it, it is the financial, yes. financial person be, who stays and has that longevity. And um, to miss that is yeah. to miss a lot within a company. One more element that I found that helps disarm people at the Japanese and Western management style is sense of humor. The other thing mm. is sense of humor. I, I, I have a strong sense of humor that allows, and, and when I say sense of humor, I'm not only just a Western sense of humor, yes. but the Japanese sense of humor, which I've observed in many ways and, and throw that into the, the mix while we are meeting each other and that allows that the connection to happen, right? So the sense mm -hmm. of humor also disarms a lot of the barriers that I feel. Um, so I'm always laughing, smiling. I'm not so serious. People get a little bit more relaxed in, in trying to approach me. What, in your opinion, is the most important personality trait to for someone that would want to work in your industry? It just you got to love and understand human psychology and people. You know, human behavior, people. This is a, this. Uh, hotel industry is unique. We are, we are here to give you an experience, right? Mm. So experience is what? What is experience? It's a feeling, right? Mm. And and it's it, and it's a journey from the moment you enter the airport to the room, and then downstairs to the meal, to the type of food you eat. I mean, this this there are so many touch points that I could screw up. It's not funny. Mm. So I think we need what you call naturally affinity people liking people, right? You can't have a grumpy person wake up in the morning with no personality, right? Personality defined by hi, how's it going? In the Japanese way and and in a very formal way, and but also the same way you know, resourceful way that we understand them. Because if we don't understand them, my God, they will, I mean, Japanese customers specifically never complain until the end of the journey. So you don't know until the end of the journey. Mm. Yeah, experience is uh, key, especially in Japan, but in general, I, I remember, well, in my book, Sweet Sales, one of the things that I highlighted was experience. Because yeah. for example, you can, you can go to, Universal Studios, or you can go to Disneyland. There, yes. you know, the price is comparable. Yeah, the experience is different for yes. a theme park, and and one's not better than the other. But you're paying for an experience to have that. And how a lot of companies don't think what is the experience they want their customer to have. Exactly, and I think that's a huge thing that can be learned from for mm. any industry from hospitality. Yep, and and. And, and talking about experience specifically, noting that we are an international brand, mm. which is platformed to work in all global locations, we need to localize the, this global mm. company into what you call the Japanese um, system, right? And so, and, and sometimes we as experts think, well, we've got to cut that yukata in the room. No one uses a yukata in the room. And, and then suddenly, two days later, 35 Japanese guests go, where is the yukata, right? And, and you go, oh my God, you actually use it? And yes, they do. And it's as simple as that. Uh, another classic example is, you know, things like the amenities, right? Yep. Um, 
if you don't have a toothbrush, you're not a Japanese hotel. Yeah. You know, as simple as that. Uh, so it's these little things that all add up. That's interesting because now I, I would think, I would expect a, a yukata or a bathrobe or, or something to sleep in and a toothbrush yeah. when I go into any hotel, right? Yeah, yeah. We've got it spoiled <laughs> in Japan. But in these days, internationally, a lot of things have been kind of, you know, come to what you call simple, basic things, right? Uh, that yeah. you, and if you ask the concierge for a toothbrush, they'll send it up to you, but they won't put it in the room. See the point? Yeah. Sure. Thinking that ninety-five percent will use their own toothbrush, mm. but for the other point, let me let me emphasize another point: the body lotion. Yeah. Very few Japanese use body lotion of the hotel because they have a higher quality of body lotion they travel with. Um, for we have a high level of wastage of this. You know, it's interesting. Okay. So one of the things that we are working on is you know these small bottles, yeah, yeah. Such a plastic, right? So I come from Fiji. I do not like plastic. <laughs> I love my blue water, blue yeah, ocean. Sure. So I, I think one of the things we're going to do this year is going to put these racks where you have the pumps. Yeah. But they're going to be locked so nothing can be added in and they'll be quite safe. And so the pumps will uh, reduce the number of plastic disposals we do. That's brilliant. Yeah. With um, I know for some guests, they, they tend to try those little bottles as samples right yes, so it's yes, like yeah. okay we'll try the body lotion if i like it then i want to go yeah. and buy it into in the shop yeah. or whatever exactly was uh what's one lesson your job has taught you that you think everybody should learn some point in their life one lesson there are many lessons are look the one thing i have learned is the appreciation of of, of culture diversity cultural diversity i mean uh, I'm, let me. This is a little bit complex, but I'm, I'm going to say it anyway. For example, my mm. I I'm from my I'm, I have a Hindu religion background, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I went to a Catholic school. My wife is a Buddhist. So my son actually asked uh, one year ago, "Dad, what religion am I?" <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So one thing that I learned, because I grew up saying, this is my religion. This is who I am. My parents said, there's no, uh, no discussion. Yeah. And we're going to go to the temple and sit for four boring hours with flames coming down my throat and you know the, <laughs> the, the things in India, uh, which I just don't understand, right? Yeah. And today I have the power to say to my son, you can be any religion you want. Nice. Yep. And I, this is something I learned living in Japan. And mm. because... Japan is such a peaceful religion society. Uh, they, they, they appreciate the Shinto religion and the Buddhist religion, both at the same time. They don't feel each is, is exclusive or I am this or I am that. You know, there's an overlap of, of people who say they are Buddhist or Shinto. And I, I find, and then you notice all public holidays have no religious connotation. Yeah. yeah. They have what you call seasonal or, or, or weather connotations. Fantastic. And when you observe all this, you understand that this is a very peaceful approach. That's great. So I, I find Japan has made me see all this far more at a deeper level than I would normally would if I was living in Malaysia, which was a Muslim dominated country, mm -hmm. for example, uh, where when I sat in the taxi the first time I arrived in Malaysia, the guy had the taxi driver had a photo of bin Laden. And he was a fan of him, right? <laughs> so I said, please stop the taxi. I need to get off. <laughs> and I didn't 
criticize his 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 view. I just yeah. said, please stop the Dexy. I choose not to try trouble with you. Right? That yeah. that that's where certain things scare the hell out of me. There you go. Well, yeah. Speaking of holidays, that's probably why we're both wearing pink. It's Hina <laughs> Nomatsuri, the Hina uh, yes. Girls Day today, right? So we're, yes, we're both yes. in pink for listeners who can't see us. We're for listeners who can't see us. We're both in pink and very handsome. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> so let's let's uh, round up mm. our our conversation with uh, if you were going to choose another occupation other than your own. Yeah. What would you try? You know what I I have thought about this several times. Several times. <laughs> <laughs> one was one was the airline industry, which I don't know what I would do in an airline industry. Um, the airline industry sounded like fun when I was younger. So my first thought was airline industry because of the hotel affiliation. Yeah, yeah. You know, so many airline crews stay in, in hotels, and they seem to. I didn't say they don't have an easy life. The traveling is not easy, right? You know, it's not fun. Right. Yep. But I wanted to have an office job where I don't sit on the airline and then travel okay. for free, right? That was it. <laughs> I could travel to Paris for the weekend and it would be amazing, right? That, yeah, I'm just sure. a thought. But that died very quickly because I cannot sit for eight, nine hours on a plane. It's just hard. Yeah. But the one industry that is still attracting me is the hospital industry. Really? Why is that? Uh, because hospitals are like hotels. Mm. But they are far more complex. They're far more intrinsically active. Hospitals will never be like never be slow, right? Hospitals are yeah. always going to be full uh, capacity uh, at some level. Uh, yeah. So I, I find I, I find it intriguing that if I had to choose an, uh, another path, which I can't, I'm, I'm too too late in my career now. I, I would go into hospitals. Nice. It's a uh, it's so important right now, especially with yeah what's going on and. And I think I would meet amazingly educated people, but also amazingly interesting patients. I mean, it's just though I think there would be a different world out there. Would you continue doing finance within? Yeah, I, I love. I love. I do enjoy my job, um, and I'm. I'm trying to be a finance person that's engaged in a way that allows me not to be what you call the the, the standard label, right? Yeah. Uh, which is like everyone asks for money. I say no. <laughs> <laughs> it's something more uh, it's more of a commercial relationship right we uh, general managers and i have mind you it's not an easy job i do have to be sometimes hard on certain facts of, of achieving things uh, we've got to push that line right that line to the edge so that we get the best out of each other and business is continuously evolving so for example give a simple thing you know, when you give a pay rise of 2% to the whole hotel team mm. and your room revenue doesn't grow by more than 2%, you will always be going backwards, yeah. right? So it's just the fundamental mathematics. And then you understand inflation, price of oil this, this year, everything is yeah. going up, right? You can see that the government is pushing for wages to go up to as high as 5%. Uh, bonuses need to come back. We need to recoup our losses over two years. So there's so many competing interests at this stake at the moment. So this year is going to be a very, very interesting year of balancing the needs of everybody. That's great. I I started, uh, we started our conversation with me saying that you're a great uh, business development person. And I think that speaks uh, wonders as being a financial professional that you yes. are, but you are very much an ambassador for the the brand you do a lot to bring in um 
different projects into the company, which I think is is fantastic. And thank you. you. Know, your, your sales team should appreciate you as well. <laughs> and it sounds like I mean we had talked uh, previously. Hilton's growing. You have um, the the Waldorf brand is growing. Yes. And so tell talk this a little bit a, around that. This is our highest luxury brand uh, mm. in terms of our brands that we we own. Uh, we have the Hilton, we have the Conrad, and, and then the, on, on terms of the luxury um, brand, it's the Waldorf Astoria. Mm. It, uh, the first Waldorf Astoria was in New York City. Uh, mm-hmm. That's where you know, this, this hotel is, is a legacy hotel where the, the greats of who and who have been there. Mm. Uh, and the first one, the first, uh, so Japan is having its first two Waldorfs, one in uh, obviously in uh, Tokyo and one in Osaka, which are two key cities. Yep. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this brand coming into Japan. It's going to put us in the same level as the Four Seasons, you know, uh, and and they're the, they're those like Mandarin Oriental. And so I am really excited. I think these brands will put Hilton into three tiers of 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 of, of what do you call income streams and luxury brand mid scale and upper upper mid scale. So so I think our brands in Japan are doing well. Mm. One opportunity that we feel will really happen, and this is called the Hilton Garden Inn. This is our first focused hotel brand. It's going to open in Kyoto end of this year. Mm-hmm. It's a focused hotel, so it's it's a, a three-star kind of image, but actually it's a hotel that's very successful, similar to other smaller brands we have in Japan, right? You have many smaller brands like the Mitsui Garden Inn, for example, sure. uh, so we are coming to that market, and I think that market is huge. Yeah. It's huge and highly profitable, and, and a lot of people are focused on that market. So we have our first HGI, Hilton Garden Inn, opening in Kyoto. It's going to be a beautiful hotel. Looking forward to seeing those. Yeah. I, I've, I, my, the first hotel I stayed at in Japan, and my stop was uh, the Hilton in Shinjuku. Okay. <laughs> over on Jet Program uh, 24 <laughs> years ago, whenever. So it was uh, nice then. I, I really, my favorite though is the Hilton in Okinawa. It is nice, yes. For now, we have two Hiltons. Or, well, we have a few Hiltons. We have the, the one you're talking about is Hilton Chatan, and there's another one in Hilton Seseko. Uh, we just opened uh, two, uh, 18 months ago. So then we're opening a new one next year in Miyako Island, by the way. Nice. We're opening, I think, late next year. Very nice beachfront. Well, thank you so much for for visiting with me today, Manesh. It's been wonderful to chat with you. David, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. 